0: I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun
1: ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world, I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're staying healthy. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast, an aptly named podcast, I must say. Uh, Not joining me this week is Boston Ward. I'm giving him a little bit of time off uh, as he recovers from his July 4th holiday, which I know is probably grueling. Another friend uh, and new man, Spencer Holbrook, the main producer of this show, uh, the Tim May Podcast, I know he played golf over the weekend, so he's probably got some sore muscles, some strains, et cetera, from trekking through the woods trying to find his balls. Uh, But I digress. Uh, Bottom line is I've got an interesting podcast once again this week, and it features two of my favorite people I've covered or dealt with at Ohio State, the first being John Cooper, who is – I remind folks uh, in the interview uh, that you'll see here in a minute, you know, I think some Ohio State fans want to be a little bit in denial, but John Cooper is the third most uh, serving, longest serving head coach in Ohio State history – and the second winningest coach still in Ohio State history. And he was also oh so close uh, four or five times to really grabbing the brass ring at Ohio State. And we all know about his record against Michigan, et cetera. We'll get into that with John. But uh, I'm not sure he uh, – and the bottom line is I'm not sure he gets the appreciation maybe he should for taking the program that he inherited from Earl Bruce and elevating it into national prominence. Uh, continued national prominence again through the 1990s until he was uh, unceremoniously fired by Andy Geiger after the Outback Bowl following the 2000 season. So I had an interesting conversation with John Cooper, one of the great purveyors of talent, I think, that Ohio State's ever had at his head coaching spot. And then following that, if you will, stay tuned because I have a uh, an interview with Pat Chun, the athletic director at Washington State, uh, who went to Ohio State, uh, grew up in the industry, in the administration industry at Ohio State before branching out into his own, At first at Florida Atlantic and now Washington State. He's one of, uh, he's a, an athletic director of a Power Five conference school, uh, having his own challenges at Washington State now during this COVID-19 uh, situation. And uh, we talk about a lot of things, not, not the least of which it, is, will there be a college football season in 2020? If so, what will it look like? and uh, various other items. But uh, without further ado, let's get to my interview with John Cooper. Like I said, one of my favorite people I've ever covered in sport.
0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Revoid. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, as I promised with the second winningest coach in Ohio state history, the third most tenured coach in Ohio state history. Maybe that's, that might be a trivia, trivia quiz answer. What do you think coach Cooper? I think that would be a good one. I think <laughs> it would be a good one. Hey, uh, you know, before we get into anything, uh, I wanted to ask you how you're doing physically. I mean, you, you know, I'm in the lower end of the demographic that was in most jeopardy. You're, no offense, but you're in the higher end now, the demographic. And how, how have you kind of kept your health during this uh, challenging time? Tim, I, the only
2: reason I get outside of the house at all is play a little golf. That and walk with my wife, Helen. You know, we've been married 62 years. So we've got to walk and take care of ourselves. And
1: I'm not going to catch that virus. I'm telling you right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not fast in a lot of things, but I'm trying to stay just ahead of that, man. You just got to beat, got to beat the guy behind you. Right. That's the only thing you got to do. You gotta hey, uh, You're on like, the side. Yeah. That's kind of like when a bear starts chasing, you don't have to beat the bear. You just got to beat the guy behind you. Uh, uh Just you, you, you know, you personally, we're, we're going through kind of some tumultuous times here now, you know, you lived through some of those as a youngster growing up and as a young coach and stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, I had Urban Meyer on my show last week talking about you know what what kind of advice you'd give to coaches during these kind of times. But uh, what what was sort of your approach when there was some controversy or some uh, challenges going on during your during your tenure as a coach? Yeah,
2: well, one thing we always talked about Tim is tough times don't last. You know, but tough people do. You gotta you gotta stay the course. You gotta you have certain things that you believe in. You know, and. One thing that we believed in: we're going to do things the right way. We're going to work hard. Nobody's going to outwork us. We're going to we're going to not beat ourselves. Uh, we're going to work hard and uh, you know have fun at the same time. Yeah, I think, I think if you do that and and uh, don't panic, uh, and you got to say you got to even in football you got to be safe. You know, a lot of times the injuries really enter in on what kind of record you have, so you got to be safe in football just like you do in life.
1: Yeah, you know it's funny because. Uh, you know you're older than me. I keep throwing that in there just because I got to find somebody older than me. You know, uh, you're older than me. Yet you know the late '60s were a very tumultuous time for folks. That was when you were you were cutting your teeth as an assistant coach, different places. Uh, I, you know, uh, this this seems like a lot of the same kind of thing, doesn't it, uh, John? I mean, uh, racial tension. Uh, uh, the pandemic that's been going on. We, we just put men back into space. The United States did for the first time. You know, it's, you know, all these weird coincidences that are going on with uh, the late 60s.
2: Yeah, you're exactly right, Tim. I remember I'm one of my, one of my uh, first uh, coaching. I was coaching at Oregon State when the President Kennedy got assassinated. So obviously, wow. you got to delay the game a week. You got to adjust on the run, so to speak. And you know, you don't worry about things you don't have any control over. You can control. We, you and I can control. You know, the uh, we don't have to get out and get in, get in the crowds and and take a lot of chances on catching this virus. You know. Yeah. But, uh, you worry about things that you that you that you do have control over, and I think that's a uh, that's something you learn the hard way sometimes.
1: You know, uh, I I told you last time we talked, last couple of ten times we talked that you and I ought to get in. We ought to. Uh, we had a coordinator. We had a, I would ghostwrite it, a book on how do you stay extremely physically fit into your 80s. Uh, what, what's been your secret, John? Well, you know, my attitude is that no, nobody's more important than you,
2: and you take care of yourself first. So uh, I, I, try to, I try to do something every day, whether it's – I don't care what you do, but do something. I, my wife and I, as I mentioned earlier, walk. I get her out of the house, and we walk. We got this route, and my daughter lives next door, Cindy, and uh, they – Fortunately, they got a 13-year-old golden retriever that there you go. Papa's job every day, Tim, to walk the dog. So I, <laughs> my wife and I walk Daisy. Daisy's the dog, of course. We walk Daisy about three, three and a half miles every day. And then I play golf and I do all my yard work and stuff like that. I worked hard all my life. I'm one of six kids. My dad was a carpenter. My dad said, I'll get you through high school and you're on your own after that. And that's about the way I've lived, lived my life. I've worked hard. I've been with good people. I've got a lot of good breaks. I think what you have to have in life, you know, to be successful. I uh, worked for some great coaches, Tommy Prothrow out at UCLA and Oregon State and uh, Pepper Rogers, who just passed away the last couple of weeks. Yeah, had thinking about you. Yeah. Yeah, so I uh, had some good coaches. And the name of the game, though, and I know we'll get into that later on, the name of the game is recruiting. you gotta, you got to get you some good players.
1: Okay, that's what I want to jump into. You know, when we talk about – i want to have you on some more because I want to talk about, you know, growing up in the, what's that old line? I I, I tried to give you a line one time that y'all grew up so far out in the country, electricity was just a rumor, but you know, it wasn't quite accurate, but (laughs) I I, I tried to help you with some of your lines.
2: Go ahead. People, I was raised so far in the country, you had to come towards town to find a place to go hunting, you
1: know. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Don't tell me the mule is blind. Just grab the grab the uh, load the wagon and pull the line. But, uh, uh, but you know, bottom line is, John, there's something that stood out about you, you know, in most people's minds forever. You know, yeah, we can, we can talk about 210 and one against Michigan, you know, to your blue in the face. Can't do what, can't fix what's already been done. Uh, We all know that a couple of wins here and there. And, uh, you know, wow, you know, we all know that. And yet you're, like I said, you're the second winningest coach in Ohio State history. But the main thing, I think more than anything else, what you did during your tenure at Ohio State from 1988 through, uh, through the uh, 2000 season was you put Ohio State back on the national map. And I want to tell you, when you took over in 1988, we're sitting on a golf cart one day when spring practice started. And I know you remember this. And you said to me, "He goes, Tim, don't, don't tell Bruce wasn't a great football coach. And I said, why is that? He goes, because he won with that. And you kind of like spread your arms. He, the talent covered – it wasn't bare, but there weren't a lot of like, uh, weren't a lot of steaks, uh, uh, canned meat on the, on the cupboard then. You kind of almost had to rebuild from scratch from the standpoint of taking back to an elite program. And you, I know you remember that, but to, just how tough of a challenge was that as you look back on it?
2: Well, as I mentioned earlier, I think usually the team that has got the best players, team usually wins. And obviously my record wasn't not not good at all against Michigan for goodness sakes, but we never lost to a bad Michigan football team. Yeah. Then when I took this job, you look back in the you look back in the in the early nineties, some pretty good football coaches in the Big Ten. I think I mean you start naming them, you know Lloyd Carr and Bo Schimbecker and and uh uh Caden
1: Fry, George Hayden, Perlis. Hayden
2: Fry, Joe Paterno, George Perlis. The, yeah. Gary
1: Barnett came along at Northwestern. One
2: of, the, one of the best ones was Bill Mallory. Yeah, uh, over at Indiana. Oh yeah, but I, you know, I, I, this was, this is a great place to coach. Ohio State it is, and you, you got to recruit. Coach Boost did a great job coaching. A, uh, unfortunately, he had two or three players that didn't play, like, that got hurt, didn't, didn't play the last year. You know, when he, when he coached here, and two or three of those players got hurt my first year, and we lost some tough ball games early. But as I mentioned earlier, the name of the game is recruiting. You, Ohio State is going to have great players. Yeah got to get out and find them. If you get it, if you get it, Tim, I, I'll brag a little bit. I, I think I've taken a team into more stadiums than anybody that's ever coached a game of college football. I've mm-hmm. actually taken a team in over 90 stadiums around the country. Okay. Wow. wow. It doesn't get yeah. any better than Ohio State. You you bring an out-of-state player in here game day, there's nothing better. No, nothing better. We've got great academics. We've got great facilities. We had great coaches. That's the reason you win.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying, you know, and I think I think Ryan Day is, is taking up where Urban Meyer left off and taking recruiting even looks like even to another level, much like er, uh, Urban did with Trestle from Trestle and what Trestle, you know, did from you. Uh, but, you know, this idea that Ohio State just started recruiting nationally, you know, you know, in the last 10 years is obviously Bogus, because obviously Eddie George wasn't from Ohio. <laughs> you know, right on down the line, yeah, uh,
2: David Boston, uh, yeah, David, uh, Joe Germain. There's a bunch of them. Uh, that's oh yeah, really. We, we, but here's a, here's a secret though, Tim. Let me make this real real plain real to to the people out there. You start in Columbus, you don't overlook an in-state player, and that's, that's hard sometimes. But here's here's another thing that happened to me is they they fired Earl Bruce a week before the Michigan game. If you remember, I yeah. And they hired me a week – they hired me after a January the 1st bowl game. Yeah. So we actually lost a year recruiting, and we lost some pretty good football players. Three, three pretty good ones out of Michigan uh, – out of uh, Cleveland. That haunted you. Michigan. Yeah. A couple of them went to Michigan, one of them went to Penn State. Yeah. Not only did we not get them, we
1: had to play against them. Right. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. But, but from that moment on, you were determined that, you know, uh, uh, Steve Peterson came in with you as your recruiting coordinator, and you were determined – to get that straight. Obviously, like you said, you know, like you're, what you're saying without saying is you win with people, good football players. Uh, uh, how tough was it to reestablish Ohio state in that regard?
2: Well, I don't think it was that tough, to be honest with you. As I mentioned earlier, now the facility, we just, we just moved into, into the Woody Hayes facility. Right. And the, the, the thing that you do is you hire good people and Steve Peterson was my first recruiting coordinator, did a great job. I think we had the second-best recruiting class in the country, the second or third year I coached here. But, unfortunately, Tim, look back. Unfortunately, we lost a lot of, a lot of good people. We lost Steve, Steve Peterson. Uh, we lost yeah. Larry, Larry Coker, Larry Maramee, uh a lot of guy coaches that left here because Ohio State didn't, they didn't pay coaches back in those days like they're paying them now. just like, yeah. a football coach, Tim, should never leave Ohio State for another assistant coaching football okay and we lost you look back and, and we lost a six or eight or ten of the real good assistant football coaches. that hurts you in recruiting because you yeah. lose a coach who's got that area out there then you got to bring somebody in that he's got to reestablish. and the other thing that really helped me i know we're bouncing around the other thing that really that's good though yeah i put a lot of confidence in the high school coaches yeah i i I'd, I'd, I'd go to some of the top high school coaches in the state and if they really recruited, really, really sold me on a player, if they laid out, laid their reputation on the line for a player, uh, I, I would recruit that player. Uh, yeah. and, and, and a lot of players, we we work more when I coach here. We work more on fundamentals, I think, than the, the, the modern day coaches. Now it's for, it's formations, it's plays, it's spread offense, it's throwing the ball, it's running the ball, little option, little draw, little this, little that. We, we work more on trying to take a player and develop that player. You know, we spend a lot of time on fundamentals, as you know. You watch yeah. – I used to let you watch practice. Every yeah, day. I
1: know, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to get to that in a minute, but go ahead. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. But yeah. I wanted to ask you this. You know, this is what I was leading to. You know, you still do some work, I think, with the Cincinnati Bengals and stuff. And uh, everybody's anymore. always – Not not anymore. Not anymore, yeah. Yeah, Well, they got Joe burrow now.
2: (laughs) Mike Mike Brown was great to me down down there for about 15 years, but I haven't done anything the last three or four years. I mean, I don't need to work
1: anymore. Well, that's that's, what I'm getting to here is, though, everybody is – I think everybody's always uh, uh, admired your eye for talent. And I'm just wondering, when when did – number one, when you were looking for a football player, what was the – what was the thing that would jump out at you first that would tell you this guy could be a cut above? You know, I mean, obviously had to. you wouldn't even be looking at him if he couldn't run and jump and stuff. But what was it that you were looking for in that player that told you he could be special or be worthy of like Ohio State or the NFL? We used, we used to spend a lot of time with the, with the high school coaches, the head football coaches on the high
2: school level. As I mentioned earlier, if I if had a good relationship with that coach to him and he really – Sold me on that on his player. If that player didn't eliminate himself size wise, speed wise, I mean, you touch that. You got to be able to run. You got to be able to change direction. And there is a difference between track speed and football speed. You know, some of these guys. Oh, he runs four or three. Not many football players run four or three. Right. Joey Galloway could, but we didn't have too many other guys run that fast. But right. uh, You take. We took a lot of uh, recommendations from high school coaches. We expanded that recruiting base. And you mentioned earlier a lot of those great players we had in, in, including Eddie was not highly recruited. Eddie, Eddie, I think, I think, as I recall, I think we beat Marshall. Some people, some, some, some,
1: some schools recruited Eddie George as a linebacker. Well, Penn State was one of those. Penn State was one of those. Yeah, yeah. they told him he put him at linebacker and he wasn't interested. But go ahead.
2: I never did that. I told a player we, we want you to come to Ohio State, you play the position you want to play. If you can't play that position, then you come and talk to everybody wants to play. Then yeah. come and let me know. We'll 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 move you to another position and let you play. But uh, we didn't we 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 didn't say you come here and and you got to play uh, quarterback or you got to play linebacker. You come and play wherever you want to play and wherever you can help the team the most.
1: And uh, you know, for example, when, when did you? You got a lot of started getting it going. When what, what was that year? Uh, I, I think landing Robert Smith was a huge get for y'all. Yeah, he's from Ohio, but that was a pitched battle to get Robert Smith, for example, and then of course to get Orlando Pace, that maybe the greatest lineman ever to play college football, maybe even the NFL, but definitely college football. Uh, that that helped elevate and stuff. Corey Stringer, right on down the line. But when was that when you kicked back and said, you know what? we got something going on here. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I can see it.
2: Well, the, the good, good football coaches has got to be good salespeople. they got to be, be able to recruit. I told my staff, I, I don't want to be the reason we don't get a player. And I tell our recruiting coordinator, and we had some good ones, uh, hey, you let me know what I need to do to help you recruit. The name of the game, Tim, is recruiting the parents. Yeah. Everybody wants to get an education. That's the number one thing you sell. And that, certainly Ohio State's got a, a great reputation, a great academic school. And I used to tell the moms and the grandmas that you can make a, you can make a big school small, okay, but you can't make a small school big. You can, yeah. Ohio State and you, recruit, you can major in anything you want to major in. And you can switch, you know, curriculums. You can take different classes. And we stress we stressed academics. That's the number one thing. Number two – My son played for me. My son, John, was a very good high school football player in Tulsa, turned down scholarship offers to Tennessee and Kansas and Kentucky and and stayed and played for me at Tulsa. And I'd sit in that living room with the moms and say, look, I'm going to make you one promise. You you send your son – let your son come and play for me. I will treat your son exactly like I treated my son. And, Tim, I never took a scholarship away from a player, never deliberately ran a, a player off. Uh, that's, that's not happening all the time now. You're seeing players transfer from year to years and being immediately eligible and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Which I don't like. I'm like. i not against the transfer rule, but I think if you transfer, you ought to be able to set out a year or graduate like Joe Burroughs did. It's, if you graduate, you can go – if you have any eligibility left, you ought to be
1: able to go anywhere you can. Yeah. Uh, what, was that, what was that year, that season, uh, that though when you noticed, hey – it was starting. It was coming together. Was it '92? Was it '93? Was it '94? Because after that, I mean, the, from you know '95 through '98, it was as good a program as there was in the country. Yeah, we could play with anybody in those days. Yeah,
2: I, I think I think after after we got our recruiting going after my second or third year here, we we were pretty good. Uh, we lost again. We we lost a lot of good football coaches and uh, assistant football coaches. And sometimes when that happens, you have to sort of change your you know instead of running the we we were we were a running option football team as you remember, and yeah. then next thing you know we spread it out and started throwing the ball. We got Joe Jermaine. You have you got to be a village idiot not to let him throw the football.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And so then we opened it up a little bit, and 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 it, and it helped us. I think I '92 or '93, we we got so we could play with about anybody to come down. tell Tim, the other thing I might point out is that non-conference schedule back in those days was a little tougher than it is now.
1: Yeah, y'all played Washington.
2: and Notre Dame a couple of times. We played yeah. USC a couple of times. You know, and Miami, Florida, and people like LSU. My first year here, my opening game was Syracuse. Then we went to Pitt. And then we came home and played LSU. It ain't that way anymore.
1: Let me ask you a quick question. I've always wanted to ask you this. I don't know why. I've never even, I've never even asked you this in just idle conversation. During that LSU game in 88, which is one of the great comebacks in Ohio Stadium history, from where y'all were down with, like, three minutes to go and winning that game, were you ever standing there on the other sideline going, Mike Archer, what are you doing? I mean, do you, do you, does a coach ever have thoughts like that? Like, oh, oh absolutely. Goodness, this guy's handing it to us.
2: Absolutely. Well, the, the, the key, and you and know, I have talked about this, Tim, you got to avoid losing yeah. before you win a game. You don't, you don't beat yourself. If, if they take a knee, the game's over. We don't even get the ball back. Right. No, and I, I guess I shook his hand and thanked him after the game. I can't, you know, I can't remember that far back, but I guess that's what I did. That was a great win for us.
1: Oh, heck, yeah. Uh, the player that you got that you knew was going to be special from the jump and ended up being special. Who was that player?
2: Well, obviously, it would be Orlando Pace. I mean, Pace came in here, and he, he's, he, people ask me all the time, who's the best athlete you ever coached? Well, yeah. God, I don't know who the best out. A lot, of, a lot of great athletes. Oh, yeah. You know, Galloway and Robert Smith and people like that, David Boston. Who's the best player you ever coached? Orlando Pace. That doesn't take me very long to answer that question. I mean, this guy, you've heard me say before, he's 6'6 and 320 pounds and ran 4'7, bench pressed 400 pounds and, and went bear hunting with a switch. Yeah, yeah. He well, started 38 straight games here at left tackle. He won the Outland and Lombardi two years in a row, first player taken in the draft, all pro, great great football player. And we had some other great players, obviously, you know, Robert Smith, as you mentioned. You you won't find a a more talented running back than Robert
1: Smith. Yeah. But, see, I thought getting Robert was the the sort of like, okay, it made the established at Ohio State, you know, this was a guy you had to get established. Ohio State was back in the sense of – it's getting that key guy from in-state, you know what I mean? Uh, I thought that was, I mean, the two-time, the only I, – I think he might still be, but i I'm, may I'm, be wrong, but he was the first two-time Mr. Football of Ohio and could have gone – could have written his ticket to a lot of places and stuff. But then getting Eddie and then, and then bringing Eddie back from that freshman season when he had that, you know, the gaff against uh, – the gaffs against Illinois, sticking with him and watching him bloom from his junior to senior year, I've told him, man, to his face – he became a different running back, and that was a developmental thing. And then he goes on and be, is the best running back in the country. And see, was, was that as fulfilling uh, as maybe any player you ever coached to see a
2: guy go from where he started to where he ended up? No no question about it. And, and, and Eddie was talented, but Eddie had great, great work ethic. Yeah. He fumbled the ball against Illinois, you know, and we're going off the field after we lost the game. I mean, you can't imagine the you know, all the oh, coaches yeah. I got. They're booing me and Woody would never play him again and run him off and kick him off and nothing. Oh yeah. He in the next year he didn't he didn't start the next year either, you know. Right. He didn't start an accident until his junior year here. But you mentioned that we had some we had some other pretty good running backs. Raymond yeah. Harris wasn't bad and uh there, yeah, Robert, 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 I'm bouncing around, but Robert missed a whole year here, if you remember. I mean, he, <laughs> yeah, I remember I think everybody remembers that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wasn't he wasn't academically ineligible. He was he he chose
1: not to play. Exactly. Uh,
2: yeah.
1: But uh but moving on, uh you know, we could take we, this is why you have to have four or five pro- podcasts with a guy like you. But as you look back, I've I've never I've never literally asked you this question either. Of those ninety-five through ninety-eight teams, you can only pick one. You can only pick one. Which one would you pick to go to war with today? What What was the most complete? Probably. ninety-five should have been, but it had the one gaff. It would have made. I'm gonna get into this in a minute too. All of those teams probably would have, or three or three of them would have made the college football playoff, but there wasn't one back then. What? Which is? Which is that? Which of those five? What is it? Four teams? Would you? Pick to go to war with today if you had one game to play.
2: Yeah, that's a hard question for me to answer. I I would think that uh, that that '96 team that played in the '97 Rose Bowl that was that was a pretty good football team. Yeah, and next year was a good team. We beat LA, we beat uh, uh, Texas A&M in the in the uh, Sugar Bowl, and uh, that that was that was one of the best teams I ever coached. I mean, we that I think yeah. senior that year wasn't it. Uh, yeah, great great football players we had. Yeah. That that was probably I don't know if that was the best team I coached or not, but that was a good team. Yeah, uh, but see, you didn't pick
1: one. Uh, you, uh, I won't one.
2: Pick, if I had to pick one, it'd probably probably be
1: probably be the '96 team, probably. Yeah. And uh, and and the reason for that is this is what's funny. I've always told people uh, you lost all those superstars from the '95 team, and yet '96 came together. <laughs> you know, new quarterbacks, uh, new running back, uh, uh, but you still had that wheel horse at left tackle. You still had Sean Springs out on the corner. You know, you had the, the young, young up-and-coming studying, Andy Katz and Marriott linebacker, the freshman and stuff. What was it about that team that you think really clicked?
2: Well, you know, and the, the other thing that we had here, and this is probably the key to that team, was that we, at that time, we had what I thought was the best off-season program in football. Our players were all started to stay in here during the summer working out with Dave Kennedy. Yeah. And yeah, they love Dave Kennedy, and, you know, just like now. Right now, Ohio State's got the best off-season program. Yeah. Mickey Mickey is the best in the country, and that's why our players are in great condition. They get better. Your job as a football coach is take a player and make him better, and, and if you, you, we kept them here all summer, worked them out, and we're in great condition. I mentioned that earlier. you got to stay healthy. you got to be yeah. in good condition. And we played, a, we played a lot of players. I tell a player, if you, if you work hard during the week, you're going to get in the game on Saturday. And it's amazing how much better football player you are if you work hard and you do what the coaches tell you to do.
1: Yeah. yeah. Last thing, you've gotten to know Ryan Day a little bit. A very personal young guy. I mean, you've seen the coaches come and go since you've been here and stuff. What is it about Ryan, do you think, uh, that can make him special? Well, what, what has stood out about him in your mind?
2: Well, first of all, he, he, he took over a great program with, with players. I mean, the coach before him didn't get fired for losing games. So the cupboard wasn't bare when he took over and he'd done a great job with his staff. He got a great staff. Great, great to me. Great to anybody that goes over and watch practice. I sit in some of the meetings sometimes and, and uh, you know, he's got great players. He's got great coaches and he, and he's, 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 he, he does a great job in letting those, letting those coaches coach. And the great thing he does that most head coaches don't do, and I didn't do, is he runs the offense. He calls yeah. plays. That's his offense. Ryan Day's offense. It's not. It's not Ohio State's offense or the assistant coach's offense. It's Ryan's offense, and he spread the field. And nowadays, you you got to have athletes to, to play in, on the college level now, Tim. You got to defend the width and the depth of the field, and uh, and certainly to to beat Ohio State with the quarterbacks we have, and the running backs we have, and the skilled athletes we have. Uh, yeah. You got to stay a step ahead of the game. Hey, I look, back, yeah, I look back, and you, we could do a whole week, week on this, but I look back at my coaching career. I mean, it used to be the, the robust, the Woody Hayes had three backs in the backfield, then you went to the split-tack, the veer, then you went to the wishbone. then you went to the eye formation, and now you better spread the field. And When they start spreading the field, you better have some athletes on the other side of the ball that can cover those wideouts, those skilled athletes that, that most of the good teams have.
1: Yeah, and the funny thing about it is there's still a lot of fundamentals from that Veer offense. For example, the Veer option that you see in Ohio State's game. You see, you know, there was zone blocking going on before anybody ever called it zone blocking. You know, back in the day when I was growing up, I sat through a couple of uh, lecture sessions uh, uh, with uh, Bill Yeoman from from Houston who really took the Veer. I think he might have invented it, but he definitely took it to another level. And you just – and I still see – Parts of that, but it's like every offense seems to have a little bit of everything in it now, right?
2: Oh, exactly, exactly. And uh, you don't step ahead of the game, like I'm telling you, you're getting behind, you yeah. Don't see, you don't see the wishbone anymore, you don't, you can't recruit these, 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 these college football players. now they want to graduate from college, them, and the other thing they want to do, they want to play on Sunday, yeah. And you, you got to run almost run a pro offense to get those guys ready to play you know, make a living. And I don't blame him. I'd do the same, I'd do the same thing if
1: I was playing nowadays or coaching. Yeah. I just think I just think back to Billy Sims at Oklahoma only got the ball. I mean, if he'd gotten the ball 35 times a game, Oh my goodness. You know, like Earl Campbell did finally at Texas, when they went from the wishbone to the eye, they finally discovered they had a great eye back there instead of a full back, you know, and, uh, and that was after uh, Daryl Royal, Darrell K. Royal left, and uh, they went to the next coach, of Fred Akers, and they put they dotted the i with Earl, and he wins the Heisman Trophy. I mean, it's it, it's an ever ever evolving uh, thing. I think we're looking at, and we're still seeing it. Hey, last thing, John, because uh, I'm gonna have you on some more, because I want to talk more about just how football has evolved, like we just talked about. <clears throat> but I want you to explain to people again why you you know. You decided that Columbus was your hometown uh, when, it was, when it was all said and done. You were kind of unceremoniously uh, let go at the end. Yet, like I said, you're the second winningest coach in, in the school history, the third most tenured behind Woody Hayes and John Wiltz, meaning years you, you served here. Uh, what is it about Columbus that, that just you still just love? Well, Jim, no, no, nothing more important to me
2: than my health and my family. My family – my daughter lives next door. My son John, who played for me, lives a mile away. Yeah, Johnny's got two boys, and Cindy, my daughter, has got two girls. My, my family's all oh, my whole family's within a mile of one another, and I see them every day. I love them to death. I see them every day. And, uh, my my answer to that question, people ask me, why do you stay in in Columbus? My answer, why not? Yeah. Why not? I mean, I'm three minutes away from Sawada Country Club. I play golf over there. Those people are great to me. Uh, it takes me, you know, what, five minutes to get over there and play. Uh, I play with Dr. Miley, my best friend here. He's 96 years old. Yeah. We golf about three or four mornings a week, and each one of us gets a cart. We play in two, two and a half hours at the most. Uh,
1: hey, wait a minute. Let me interrupt. Those senior tees are beautiful, aren't
2: they? Uh, uh, the green tees. They play a lot better. It's amazing how much better player you're a golf player. I swore yeah. my pride and move up and, and have fun. I
1: yeah.
2: have fun. I have fun in life now.
1: By the way, uh, me, you, and Moose, we're going to get together. Paul Spine, we're going to get together and play golf because we can all hit from those tees now if you follow my drift, man. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <nice>. Legally. <laughs> so, we're, we're looking forward to kicking your butt. No, I'm just messing with you, Coach. Hey, John Cooper, I'm going to have you on some more, man, if you don't mind, because I really like talking football. You and I used to sit in your office and talk about all kinds of things. That was one of the good old days. That was the good old days. I don't care what anybody says. And, uh and, and then the ability to get to go to practice and actually watch a football team developing in front of your eyes was one of my favorite things ever. Of course, it, when, when Twitter and everything came along, a lot of the coaches, for a lot of reasons, got away from that. And, you know, I think you can probably understand some of those reasons why. But I, but I will never, ever apologize for having enjoyed my time uh, covering you, dealing with you. They weren't always rosy times. But you know, you know where you and I stand.
2: Exactly. Thanks a
1: lot, Tim. Thanks for having Um, me. We're going to talk. We're going to get back together, though, and talk about that veer and everything else uh, later, man, because I just think the evolution of football is still one of my favorite things to talk about. I've never liked the off field stuff. I always like the on field. What are you doing to beat that team? You know what I mean? But we'll do it, John. Thank you very much.
2: Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having
1: me on. Thanks a lot. John Cooper coming on this uh, this podcast. Uh, That was delayed uh, from several weeks ago when we first recorded it because Obviously, a lot of things have happened in the world of sport that I wanted to touch on due to the COVID-19 challenge, and, and I'm always hoping John Cooper now, an octogenarian, <laughs> is staying safe and healthy, and he, he, as you saw, he claims he is, So uh, he and his wife, Helen, so uh, good luck to them. And now following with my conversation with Pat Chun, the athletic director at Washington State, who, like I said, cut his teeth at Ohio State in the profession before moving on to Florida Atlantic, and then to uh, Washington State, uh, he has some interesting things to say about a lot of subjects uh, dealing with major college athletics in general and college, major college football in particular in this COVID-19 challenge. And as promised, ladies and gentlemen, we're back with a very special guest as far as I'm concerned, uh, Pat Chun, the Athletic Director at Washington State, former Athletic Director at Florida Atlantic, when Florida Atlantic put Ohio State on the schedule a year ago. And, uh, and then before that, I want to... One of my favorite people I've ever dealt with at uh, state grew, uh, grew up through the ranks there from the sports information office to uh, being a trusted advisor uh, confidant with Gene Smith before moving in and becoming an athletic director of his own. Pat, uh, now in Washington State, thanks for joining us.
0: Tim, always, always great to see you. And uh, uh, I've actually been a big fan of uh, the work you're doing in your podcast. So it's, uh, it's a good way to stay informed with my alma mater.
1: Hey, so you're that guy. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. Pat, you know, uh, just before we get started, you know, I want to talk to you about a lot of other things, including is there going to be a college football season this year. But, uh, you know, had, had John Cooper on, uh, an interview we did a, a few weeks ago, it kind of got put to the back burner a little bit because of what was going on in the world and stuff. But, you know, you were there right front and center of the John Cooper era when it really hit its uh, stride and then at the end there and stuff. But what do you think is John's – Coach Cooper's lasting legacy at Ohio State. If you had to put it into a few words,
0: well, you you know this, and the guys that covered him back then. He he always had some great one-liners. <laughs> That's that, yes, uh, for sure. But I think it's complex because when you look at when he took over and what Ohio State needed, um, they you know Ohio State. I mean, you I mean you look at the continuum. And you 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 don't have to you can see the schools that are built or the pro football firms that are built for sustained excellence. And Ohio State, when he came in the late 80s, was not there anymore. It was starting to fall um, to the rest of the pack, if that made sense. Because, you know, the world changed, population uh, dynamics were starting to change. Um, And then what he did for recruiting Ohio State, what he did from a national level. But but I will tell you this. At the end of the day, Ohio State, when you think about John Cooper's legacy – the sheer talent of people that he recruited to Ohio State is really unfathomable. I mean, you talk about the people, you talk, I mean, you look at Eddie George winning out of Heisman, Mike Vrabel's a head coach for Tennessee, Luke Fickle's a head coach for Cincinnati, Kirk Herbstreet's the leading analyst in college football to this day. Um, I mean, it, it is just the it, the sheer, because at the end of the day we're all the reflection of the people that we surround ourselves with. And yeah, I know yeah. his Michigan record is two ten and one and that's what people uh, uh, people focus on. But I always thought when, when they ask me about John Cooper, when, when he's standing for his, his maker, uh, he will be evaluated for being a great husband, father, grandfather. Uh, but at Ohio State, I think the accurate reflection is the people he recruited. And I'm sure Coach Truss will tell you, now we, you know, Ohio State doesn't win a national championship in 2002. If John doesn't bring the caliber of talent that he brought in, blended in with a pretty amazing recruiting classes that, that Jim put together as yeah. well as Jim's formula for building championship programs. But, you know, all these great athletic programs, you know, even at Washington state, you tell people everything's interconnected. Uh, there, there's a, there's, it's more like a continuum. I don't look at these like, Hey, one era ends here. You know, at the end of the day, we all have responsibility for the, the, the part of the con- timeline that we're responsible for. And when you think about what John did, I mean, he, he created a big part of the foundation that, that led to a place of, um, almost two decades of unprecedented success in college football for Ohio
1: State. Yeah, I was going to say, man, he won some recruiting battles. I mean, uh, like you said, and uh, he took the program national much more than Earl Bruce had from the standpoint of going after elite talent nationally. And then, of course, you know, when you bring in players like Robert Smith, uh, Corey Stringer, Orlando Pace, Eddie George, it sets the foundation for what came in the late nineties. You're exactly right. His eye for
0: talent. I mean,
1: you could argue yeah. he was
0: one of the best talent evaluation evaluators in the history of college football. I yeah. mean, it's one thing. I mean, I mean, because I mean, people forget Eddie George wasn't, didn't have all these overwhelming numbers. I mean, Orlando pace, you and I could have recruited. Yeah. Uh, you could go right down the list of guys uh, that he had to go. He had to go. He had to go identify, uh, go recruit and go develop them at Ohio state. And, uh, his, his, that's why he's in the College Football Hall of Fame. He's one of
1: the best ever to do it. Yeah, I've reminded Eddie George that many times that you know if he'd gone to Penn State, you know Joe Paterno wanted to make him a linebacker. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly.
1: Eddie George might never have done Othello. He might have done some other tragedy. <laughs> but uh, but no, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, let's just get to you know because you went you know from Ohio State, which was you know with, by the time you left, Gene Smith. I mean that pro the athletic department, the program was on the elite level, maybe the best in the country, right? Or definitely in the argument for best in the country to Florida Atlantic, which was you know, to uh to I mean, Washington like St- Emerging
0: program we like
1: to call it. Yeah, emerging like, program. Act, yeah. Act and, uh, at yeah. Yes. How have your eyes been opened at these at those three places of going from, you know, you knock on somebody's door, hey, I'm from Ohio State, come on in to I'm, I'm from Florida Atlantic. Well where's Florida Atlantic? You know, to yeah. Washington State. Wait a minute, aren't you aren't you guys out there on the Palouse? You know, I mean, the, you know, I mean, how have your eyes been opened, I guess, to the landscape of, uh, of the nation in terms of recognition, et cetera? Well, well the, the great thing that you're always in some of your experiences. So being at
0: Ohio State, I mean, you, when you're in it, you don't really um, fully absorb or acknowledge the level, just the level of, of excellence around you.
1: So or maybe when, appreciate. Or Is appreciate, that yeah.
0: yeah. Especially for me, you put yourself in my shoes. I'd never been anywhere else. I grew up born in, born in Youngstown, raised in Cleveland, dreamt of going to Ohio State, ended up going there, started working in the athletic department as a student, uh, and then working for 15 years, worked my way up to to being Gene's right hand. So uh, you're Definitely. used to being surrounded by these extraordinary coaches, extraordinary student athletes, extraordinary administrators, and then it ju- it's just a place that because of the magnitude and, and – and, scope of Ohio State. It just attracts a different level of person. And then you go to a place, you know, so for me, uh, I tell everyone, because I was raised in that environment, uh, I was someone that really uh, bought into the ideology of, hey, you got to push yourself to be the best you can be. Uh, You need to go, uh, you know, get out of your comfort zone. Uh, You need to go put yourself in a position where you can go fail and learn from your failures, uh, where you can go learn from your successes. So, and Gene, really, Gene was that person that put that thought in my head early on. He said, hey, you can do this. Uh, and you know I was a little bit naive to think how you know it may have been easier than I thought or, or harder I was naive when he said it because the complexities of the job are continually changing but uh, when someone like Gene Smith puts that thought in your head it really puts you know inflates inflates your wings and makes forces you to see how you can fly and then you go to a place like Florida Atlantic and you learn right away that the things you're able to do, do at Ohio State you can't do at every other school if not most of the schools uh, but at the end of the day, the, the most important thing I tell when you learn, you know, in my time, at, at my 15 years at Ohio State, it's all about people. It's all about, how, it's all about leadership. It's all about culture building and culture shaping. Uh, it, it's, it's the value of being around extraordinary athletic directors like Gene Smith and Andy Geiger, being around extraordinary Hall of Fame coaches throughout my time there, like Coach Russell and Urban Meyer, that, that no matter what the group is, no matter what your financial situation is, um, how, you, how you solve problems are going to be different. But at the root of everything, it's still all about people, the teams you assemble, and the type of uh, the type of culture you can build. And and that you know, and the good thing from a technical standpoint, I learned a ton at, at Florida Atlantic. Uh, you know, when you have when you're really limited in resources, how to hire people, uh, how to build programs, how you know, just how to change culture. There, really focused on yeah. academics. And then, luckily for me, it, it provided an opportunity to get get to a power five level again. And uh, coming out to Washington State's been a really great fit for me and my family. This uh, this is the eastern part of Washington, so it feels like Ohio. Uh the people yeah. feel like Ohio in. So it's been a really nice fit. We have a great, uh great president I work for. I'd argue the best in the country and Kirk Schultz, well documented and, and you know, he's former chair of the NCAA board of governors. And you know, in, in this industry too, it's it's the plot of your president and uh the where how you know how good your football program's uh competing or or what level it's at. And I was fortunate to get here with Mike Leach and Built this thing up over the last seven years to a place where it was, uh, you know, over the last five years been in bowl games, average eight and a half wins a year, and uh, so it, it's been it's been a real joy to be a part of this. And you know, we have our challenges uh, like 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 most schools, uh, finances is, is the big one. But uh, you know, with my background in fundraising, marketing, ticket sales, the external side, the president thought I'd be a good fit, and really proud of the work we've been able to do the last uh, the last couple of years here.
1: You know, I was going to say, I mean, if I had to, you know, you you don't. You know, we had a we had a really good relationship when you were at Ohio State, and if if I had to pinpoint one part of your learning process when you got into athletic administration, besides dealing with the media, <laughs> was that not just experience? I mean, not just uh, you didn't just dip your toe into fundraising; you were a major part of it. And that is the, that is the grease that, that greases the wheels, right? In major major college athletics, or are, are you thankful? To this day, for like having to like do that aspect of the job.
0: Absolutely. And, and that is the area, Gene, uh, and I'd, I'd even throw Sheila Smith in that mix. Uh, I mean, I think that is the place where, I, where they changed Ohio State the most. It's not like, you know, when Andy got there, Andy focused on fu- fundraising, but Gene really has a systematic approach uh, to, to fundraising. Uh, and it's something that, that uh, I've taken to me to two institutions. Uh, I know Martin Jarman's taking it from Boston College to uh, to UCLA. I'm sure Heather's operating out of the same same playbook uh, at Pitt. Uh, so it's 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 a systematic approach to fundraising. It's relationship heavy, heavy. It's activity heavy, uh, but but it, it's a key, especially in a place like the good thing at Washington State. You know, we, we feel more Big Ten and SEC than we do Pac twelve simply because of the passion our alums have for our institution. So it's it's just upon it's upon our staff here to build relationships with those people and try to get them to to choose Washington State as the point they give, uh and, and know they can impact us in, in pretty extraordinary
1: ways. Okay, let's get down to the main reason I called you. <laughs> okay. Pat Sean, athletic director at Washington State, one of the Power Five conferences, uh you know, in your own way, a mover and shaker, et cetera, a man with his uh, hand on the pulse of what's going on in the world, this COVID-19 world today. Is there, is there going to be a, be a major college football season in the fall of 2020?
0: Great question.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, never
0: answer a question with a question. <laughs> um, we're working toward it. This week was tough, I'll admit it. I mean, even in our calls with with what's happened happening, you know, in our league in California, Arizona, uh, across the country, you could throw in – uh, Texas, Florida, Louisiana, South Carolina. So, um, you know, four of the five power five leagues are affected by the uh, increase in outbreak of COVID-19. Um, you know, we, we are a league that has, in my opinion, has done a really good job in terms of communicating and planning. Uh, you know, our, our conference uh, has, has uh, built subcommittees uh, on the medical side, on the football side, uh, on the rural side. So, so we, we feel like we're prepared for any and all scenarios. My hope is that, that we as an industry continue to be patient. Uh, things change rapidly under in, in this COVID-19 environment. Uh, we're in a very different place than we were two weeks ago, but we're also in a very different place than we were in March. So there'll be a point in time, and my assumption is it's going to be at the end of this month or early August, uh, really because uh, um, in-person classes uh, will have to start on all these college campuses. Uh, so decisions are gonna have to be made uh, really be, really because of the academic schedule for a lot of these schools, including us on the semester system. So um, right now, I would say I don't have I, my, my my hope is there. Uh, we're a school that we have um uh, we have really a vast majority of our football team here now, including our newcomers. We have about 150 student athletes in town. And uh you know where we sit in Pullman, Washington, and Whitman County and in, in Eastern Washington, we've had less than 30 cases of COVID-19 in our entire county, wow. uh, no deaths. So we're in a very unique bubble here. Uh you know, I you know our parents are excited to send their their young people. Uh, their kids to Coleman to because they know it's a safe environment. And once we clear them and test them, uh, uh, that, that they're, they're, they're pretty much in a bubble here uh, until really school starts. So, um, you know, I think we got to be patient as an industry uh, just because things change. I, but, you know, last week was daunting when you see the numbers continue to rise uh, across the country. And at the end of the day, our industry, uh, our league, our school, our president, uh, we're, we're going to do what's best for the health, safety, and wellness of, of everyone involved. Uh, most especially the student athletes, but you, you know this for Santa, You know this industry is filled with uh, coaches and staff that are in high risk categories as well. So uh, we, you know, uh, safety and well, safety and wellness will dictate we'll where we end up.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, your commissioner with Larry Scott was on. I saw him interviewed a, a few places. Uh, read some of the stuff, and it's not out of the question that Power Five leagues. I I wrote a story about this. I keep top referring back to it just because I'm so smart. You know, no. Uh, but uh, two and a half, three months ago, that you could end up. This is when this thing was first starting, and I could see you ending up with uh, the Power Five conferences playing intra-conference schedule because uh, uh, just for this one year only, maybe you know you just appease the fans by giving them an eight-team instead of a 14 playoff at the end of it. But that I know that's a lot of moving and shaking. It would have to go along there. You know, as Jerry Jerry Lee Lewis would say. But uh, but the bottom line is uh, that way you could you could better police, uh, how did I put it? Uh, you know, you have your own house that you're dealing with there and then your house is in the neighborhood of the, of the, of the PAC 12, just like Ohio state's in the neighborhood of the big 10. And it'd be easier for y'all all to police yourselves as opposed to opening it up to two or three non-conference games, which include travel and or somebody coming to your place, uh, et cetera. Do you think it's, what, what do you, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. What do you think is the most feasible right now, that y'all just plow ahead, plunge ahead into the schedule as scheduled? Or do you see uh, a possible interconference schedule for the Power Fives?
0: Well, well, if you're asking me here in the fir- first week of July, yes. uh, I, I, probably the thing I'm probably most confident of is a delayed start uh, simply because of what happened. what's happened this last week with the outbreak and knowing that uh, as we keep going forward, especially with the holiday weekend, Um, there's going to be more outbreak. I mean, that's just the way this thing's going to go. So there's going to be more need to quarantine and isolate. So my assumption is there's a delayed start. Uh, You are correct. And and I hate using this term minimum standards, but... Um, you know, as a conference, you know, we've already agreed upon, you know, our, our medical experts are, are meeting, you know, uh, multiple times a week. So we'll be aligned as a conference. My assumption is the conference, com- the five major conference commissioners can align basically on what the protocols and policies will be that, that they can, we can all agree upon that we deem safe or safe enough uh, to go play football and, and minimize as much risk as possible. And a lot of it has to do with resources as well. Uh, A lot of the conferences don't have the resources. There's only really five conferences that only have the resources to do it. But I think your your instincts are correct. It's going to be, you know, the easiest thing always has been to align as a conference. Uh, But we're like a lot of the conferences is our geographic footprint is going to create problems because, you know, look at us right now. We got six schools, four in California, two in Arizona. Um, that, that are spiking on the COVID, COVID scale. And if you're in the Big 12, you're worried about uh, your linchpin, University of Texas. And uh, if you're in the SEC, you're thinking about uh, Florida and Texas A&M and, Louisiana and LSU and South Carolina. So it's, it's, you know, the, the, it's the way the industry is set up that, that these five leagues have a bulk of the resources. And you don't have to argue some of the great medical centers uh, in all the world uh, reside in, and you know if, you know we're proud of that in the Pac-12, but you could argue uh, look up and down the West Coast, we got some of the best medical expertise that's lending there that are on that are working with the with all the major pro, pro franchises. But um, it's going to be how you can align. It's no different than us. We're we're we need to get to a point where we got to submit uh, to this to the to our county and state what our stadium plan is. Well, we've been working with the Seahawks, uh, with the Mariners, uh, and with the University of Washington, just so we're all aligned to say, "Hey, this is our—we are the experts in the state. This is what we believe uh, creates the safest environment for fans to come in and, and enjoy sports."
1: Yeah, that's what Gene Gene Smith was talking about. That you know, a month or so ago. I mean, you know, at the moment, you're talking about six or, you know, six or eight foot spacing distancing. Will it be a smaller distancing? You know, when you get around to the season, et cetera, which affects greatly yeah. Ohio State's. Uh, uh, possibility of seating but then you know you have one of the smaller stadiums in in division in in the fbs and it de- greatly affects your 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 seating etc and your your chance for revenue right it's going to impact us all but but the, the the big volume stadiums the
0: the ohio states uh the sec schools some of the other schools in the big ten i mean that's a uh that that they they make more you know they're still making more on on uh ticket revenues than they are probably in uh conference distribution so that that puts them in a different space We're we're still making more in conference distribution than we are in ticket revenues which ie means getting getting uh games televised so i would say for most of us you know if we can if we can protect the tv revenue it's probably step one and then how do you do something safe inside the uh um, inside your stadiums, but it's a strategy you see going on with the NBA, major league baseball. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out how can they protect their TV revenues? Uh, and then they'll, they can figure out the fan piece, uh, whenever it's appropriate to do that.
1: Yeah. How much pressure are you guys as, as administrators feeling from fulfilling contracts? If you follow my drift there from a, you know, television standpoint, uh, you know, somebody used that, uh, term a long time ago that uh, you guys are, you know, basically college football and basketball more than any other sports had become inventory for the networks. This was like 20 years ago, and it's only increased. Are y'all feeling pressure from that side of it, too, to deliver games one way or the other? I mean, or how, you know, how has it been played? Yeah, at least
0: for me, I don't know if it's pressure is the right word, but you know, you know, um, you know, what does that, how decisions impact the bottom line. Yeah. I think the, the pr- if there's any pressure, it really is, all right, we have, you know, we're like every college campus, uh, Division I, Power Five. You know, we, we got a bunch of student-athletes here that are excited because they get to get back into their weight rooms, uh, focus on a sport again, be around their teammates. Uh, I mean, it, it, this is the best part about being in college right now. So I think the pressure, for, for at least for me, is, all right, how do we help these guys? How, how do we help all of our young men and young women? Uh, continuing their college experience continuing their college sports experience it, it was heartbreaking in the springtime you know I only got to talk to two of our teams because we shut down so fast I mean it's heartbreaking to sit across from your baseball team or your rowing team and say hey you, you know you got some seniors that work their whole lives and this is the last time they're ever going to play uh, uh, organized competitive sports again and now you're done uh, you know with three months to go those, those are those are heartbreaking types of conversations so I think the pressure is all right what do we How do we do something functional for our athletes but you also know in the back of your mind uh the impact it's going to have on the bottom line if you don't play but um you know i think you could like anything in life if you don't manage your mental health if you don't manage uh the negativity in your in your brain you're going to put you're not going to be thinking straight so uh you know i I, i'm one who's really thinking all right about our student athletes and uh you know once we have to make certain decisions and we can start going down the holes those rabbit holes and figure out how we how do we
1: how do we uh, survive uh, if we get in one of those how maddening how maddening though is it for a person in your position to be thinking contingencies I would think all the, and, all the time and and yet you don't even know what that can what you don't even know what you're gonna hang your final decision on yet because you don't know what it's going to be like the first of August you know you, you know it's it's somebody asking you a question but the question Kind of like being a good, I guess, cross examiner, you know, in in uh, in in court. The question keeps changing, you know, uh, every week. How crazy I've, is that? I've told people this is
0: these last few months are the busiest I've ever been, and the slowest I've yeah. ever been at the same time. So it's 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 just this. Um, uh, environment of of there's you have no control over where this is headed because the disease the, the virus is, is really the, the thing in control right now as it shifts you're shifting I mean I would sit here and tell you you know a month ago I was thinking heck we could probably get 75 percent of our stadium full now'm yeah. i sitting here thinking wow we may we may not even play games or we, we might have to do it without fans so uh, I think that's that's where that that's where the uh, uh, I think that's where it just wears you down but simply because you're right, you're always you're thinking about what ifs, and you just gotta be disciplined with, with your team and your 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 coaches and your athletic staff because you know we all have to make the right decision at the end of the day. So we can have all the contingency plans in the world, and that's great, and that's gonna help us get to the right decision. But it's still staying focused on you know whatever information we have at the time. We gotta be ready to go, and uh, you know in our situation, we got we got one of twelve votes in our conference, and we gotta make sure that we're 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 on the right side of uh, whatever vote we have.
1: Yeah, you know, I was uh I was talking to you before we started here and uh, you know, I was reading with interest, you know, the uh presentation you had to make to what your board of trustees or uh whatever about the about the you know deficit y'all are in like like 90 hundred million dollar shortfall, if that's the right term from an athletic department uh coming up this year. And yet, you know, I'm sure they're wanting answers to questions you can't answer either. But you know, explain to people though, y'all y'all set up isn't like Ohio State or maybe you know, Michigan, Penn State, Alabama, uh, you rely heavily uh, on, uh, what do you call it, student activity fees or whatever you want to call it, but just part of the general budget of the university, just because of, you know, the size of your university, et cetera, but to maintain that Division One standing, et cetera, you know, have all these sports, in, but how, uh, how, how tough is that, you know, from that aspect of not really being able to give those people answers?
0: Well, I I actually use this story and
1: you you may be
0: one of the rare people on Columbus that remember this is uh, back. And I think, I I think it was September 17th or 18th. I don't remember that because it's around my birthday, but it was 2002. Uh, You have two top 10 programs in Ohio stadium, Washington state and Ohio state playing football. Yes, this is the national championship for Ohio State. This is this might have been Maurice Claret's coming out party against Washington State. Or, or yeah, I don't of, remember
1: which game came first, Texas Tech or Washington State. but it, you're uh, right. It was yeah, it was one of his coming out parties.
0: Yeah, well, I think Texas Tech might have been his actual coming yeah. out. Uh But but I top one. You got two schools that that you know, I joke around with with when I see uh, Bill Doba uh, and Mike Price during that game because I think. Uh, Tressel and Craig Krenzel might've thrown the ball four times or five times that second half. They just, they just ran the ball. I said, yeah. how hard would it have been? And then Price said, no one could have tackled uh, Maurice Claret that day. But the story I use is you have two programs that were top 10. All right. And one ends up winning the national championship. One ends up with a really good year. I think of what Washington state makes the, uh, uh, I think makes the Holiday Bowl that year. Yeah, but Ohio State, if you remember, I, re- I remember distinctly coming back from the national championship game, and uh, I'm in fundraising at this time, and Andy Geiger and Jim Trestle basically say, "Hey, we're going to put 20 million dollars into the football facility," and you're just thinking, "Wow, we just won a national championship, and we're and we're going to we're going to keep we're going to put I guess we're putting our, our foot to the metal." Uh, because, and at that time, I mean, just, just with, with how aggressive Andy was, he knew we were behind in the facility game and he knew that this was the opportunity because everyone was feeling great about Ohio State football. And I taught Washington State they did nothing in terms of uh, 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 projects for almost a decade. Wow. So, Washington State football falls really off the map. And I said, not to say you would have been Ohio State, but Ohio State, because they were aggressive in the facility planning, aggressive in the fundraising. They set themselves up for 20 years of success. So fast forward, the point, I'm going to get your answer. In 2012, uh, the president, Bill Moose, who's the AD, who's the AD in Nebraska now, football was at rock bottom at Washington State. So they made a decision. They said, we got to go recruit. A, we got to change, change football because it's impacting fundraising, enrollment, uh, the morale of the school. So they built some facilities here that, they, that, that, that on paper you didn't have money for. Uh, but they, they bit the bullet and said that, Hey, we're going to, we're, we're going to reinvest in the football. So they, they redid the football stadium. They built a football operations building they hired Mike Leach and then football started to get on a trajectory again. So those decisions impact what we do today uh, as an athletic program. We did. So that, so the way we're structured as a university is help is helping paying down that debt even though we live in our athletic department and then we're just trying to operate uh, with the rest of our uh, budget uh, really at a break even pace, although it's easier said than done. So we're one of many schools, there's 120 FBS schools, 65 in the power of power five. And uh, you know, the numbers will show 90% of them get some type of assistance from campus, uh, good, bad or indifferent. I know most faculty don't like that, uh, but, but I'm on the side that knows that, hey, the, these athletic programs are about access, opportunity, impact morale, impact fundraising, uh, M- M- impact enrollment. Uh, they give students an opportunity to bond on campus. I mean, uh, you know, it's me and my roommates at Ohio State. We remember all the games we went to and talk about them to, to this day. And those are the key parts of uh, those are what make the college experience special. And, and I'll tell you what, as-, as we keep going into this uh, Zoom environment for higher education, that college experience is going to be more than ever. Yeah, uh, because it's it's really going to be the difference between getting a degree at uh, X University online, even though it's a, a credible uh, you know university, or going to campus, joining student groups, uh, joining a, a sorority or fraternity, going to a football, or basketball, or baseball game. That's the human interaction piece is still. Uh, the value of going to, to to a traditional college campus. So uh, so we have to present our board, uh, budget to the Regents uh, It's 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 uh, we have a very supportive group. They understand the history of why we have our debt It still doesn't make it make it palatable by any stretch of the imagination. We're working toward there We have a plan to get out of debt A lot of it hinges on what we're able to do fundraising and ticket sales uh, But we've had some great successes the last couple of years COVID yep. has thrown a huge curveball in what we're doing uh, all everything we had, all the, traje- all the trajectory we're on is gone. Uh, so now you go back to what we had talked about earlier. We got to sit, wait, evaluate, and then just just get up and running as soon as we can, as soon as we're allowed, allowed to uh, really go out and start start having teams out here again and fundraising and seeing people again.
1: Dude, uh well said. Except for one part, the analogy of COVID being a curveball, COVID is a knuckleball. It's time. Even Michael Jordan. Oh, even Michael Jordan learned how to time and hit a curveball. ball. Knuckle ball, if it's thrown correctly, you have no idea where it's going next. And you uh, can't even catch it half the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> By the way, you know, you well said because, you know, Gordon Gee was the first guy to really verbalize, in my opinion, that, uh, that when people talked about the largesse or whatever, the expense associated with major college football, he was the first guy that I've ever covered who basically put it best. that It in essence was the showroom to the rest of the – if you were good in that, if you could get, you know, get on television and be good, win, et cetera, it, it accelerated all kinds of things else, elsewhere in your university because people feel good about being associated with a winner, uh, what they want to be part of, it, et cetera. You've seen that like you and I were talking about. You've seen that at Alabama with Nick Saban. Mm-hmm. I, mean, it's, I mean, even the big programs can get bigger because they feel good response, right? I mean, that's, I think that's what people understand. I mean, football is about the experience for the players and the coaches, but it's also about the experience for the fans and the students.
0: Correct. Students, faculty, alumni have, I mean, It it, it what brings people back to campus. I mean, we're like Clemson. We're in a remote part of our state. Yeah. uh, Sell out just like Clemson sells out because we have alums that go want to grab their grandkids, that want to grab their best friends, their sorority sisters, fraternity brothers, and come to a football game just to, just to hang out and connect. And you got a bunch of students that, hey, look forward to that Saturday to, uh, to go with their boyfriend, girlfriend, sorority sisters, frat brothers, uh, and go watch a football game and have fun for a day. Those are yeah. the things that um, – th- those are – that, to me, is, 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 the, is the impact. I mean, college sports, I always remind people, when, when you go to a college football game, uh, it, it is about the students, but it's more than the guys, wearing the helmets. It's the dance team, the cheerleaders, the band, oh, the, the and the, yeah, the students in the stands. I mean, that's what makes college, the college environment so special because it's driven by the energy of young people, and it's, it's so much bigger than just the football team.
1: And it just exposes so many more people to your campus. I went to a Notre Dame game, for example, last year uh, during one of the Ohio State off weeks because I'm semi-retired now, Pat. And I also, <laughs> went, also went to the Alabama-Texas A&M game. But oh, wow. uh, back in early October, and uh just a man the house the Notre Dame Virginia Tech game was the first non Notre Dame sellout I think in i don 't know how many years, but it was still re, it was a super cold day, but my point was the energy you felt being there on campus, you know getting the steak sandwich there on the uh, uh by the one group but then, but then tech and the same thing just it was tailgates as far as you could see I mean tailgate parties going on i'm sure you have the similar situation. In Washington State, because you kind of got to get there, yeah. and then people want, and then if you win, people really don't want to leave immediately. So, <laughs> but but it's just getting to walk across that oval one more time for one of another term. Absolutely. The Commons, going go through the Commons, go to the bookstore, etc. That's what kind of drives. You. It's all about pride. It's like like I said, the the great thing about college athletics and college football in particular, it's like the old days of the city states, you know, that fought each other, you know. <laughs> but then he went back to the you know they took pride in where they were from and what they were fighting for and and so did the cheering so did the cheering mom
0: yeah i'm, I'm like a lot of alums at, at ohio state I've met my wife there in fact my three kids were born at the ohio state medical center uh so <laughs> and I've, I've now uh truth be told i have not been back in a while this life has gotten busy since i left but yeah uh, you know it, it, it you know i know if we go back when we go because we, we still saw our best friends are still in columbus uh, next time we go back, I mean, the times we have, we do make it a point to go pop in and uh, just walk around a little bit, just to, just to feel those same feelings again.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not going to bring up the fact. That I think you're on the on the short list for uh, if if and when Gene Smith ever moves on uh, retires, that uh, I would think you would be on a very short list of people who are uh, qualified to uh, follow in his footsteps. And I know you learned a lot from him. What What was the biggest? You know, you talked about this a little bit a while ago. Uh, what was the biggest lesson? If you could put it into a couple of short words that you learned working under and with Gene Smith.
0: Well, it's I think his characteristics as a leader because you knew you, you know, I was at a stage in life where you're really fascinated. And still today, I would call myself a leadership, leadership junkie and just studying Gene and, and his makeup. I mean, he's uh, I mean, he's the coolest guy in the room. Uh, he's also the toughest guy in the room. Uh, he's the most compassionate guy in the room. Uh, he may be the smartest guy in the room and he, you don't, you, and you, you walk and when he leaves a room, it, that, that's when it all hits you. So, I mean, his, his self-awareness is just off the charts. I mean, he just knows uh, how he impacts people, uh, how to say what, what are the right things to say in the tough moments. Uh, so those are the things you learn just by watching I mean, when, when you, when you, when you're working at the feet of uh, one of the greats in our business, I'd argue the greatest of all time in our industry, but you see it just comes down to his ability to, uh, to lead in good times, lead in tough times, because uh, you you've, you've been around that place as long as anybody else. There's some tough times and uh, you know firsthand it's a leadership that, that, uh, uh, that guides you through it and then you, and you see the, the, the rubble that's left sometimes after if, if leadership isn't right. Uh, but Gene's been able to sustain a long career at Ohio State because uh, he's an extraordinary leader. And I, like I tell everyone, uh, the hope is uh, that he's there as long as he wants to be, and hopefully that's a very long time because uh, they literally do not make him any better than Gene Smith.
1: Yeah, I, was gonna, I told him. I said, you know, there's only two people who are guaranteed to get booed every time they get uh, um, every time they get introduced somewhere: it's the commissioner of the league and athletic directors because they have to make. <laughs> they, they don't always please everybody, as you all well know, and stuff. Yeah. Last thing I'll leave you with here before we end this podcast, Uh, uh, can can college football, college football in particular, but uh, college athletic programs in general, could they can they survive? And this is a hard one. If you don't, you know, you can go wherever you want to go. Can they survive a year without athletics, without uh, college football? I mean, and by year, I mean, heck, y'all could play in the spring as far as I'm concerned. But, yeah. uh, and I know that's on the table with some folks, but just, I, I guess what I'm getting to here, how precarious a position are we looking at right now? Well, I know. and I mean, here's the reason I'm saying this, because I know you, I mean, even though I talked, brought it brought up about you being on probably a short list to, to succeed, Gene. I know you've always been a guy who is, as, as Jim Chelsea used to say, be where your feet are, you know. Yeah, or your butt is your butt at Washington State. Keep your head and your butt yeah. in the same
0: place. That's as long. Exactly,
1: yeah. exactly. And I know you're. You know, I know you're not looking there, and I know you probably yes. you blushed when I brought that up. But that's. Yeah. But my point is, can uh, how how precarious a spot are we in right now? Do you think?
0: Uh, precarious. Uh, y- you know, there there is a reality that we see going on in the world today that COVID has brought on, and whether the words are reckoning or 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 an adjustment to the, to a lot of things that. Uh, that were built on, on uh, you know, I guess false, false foundations. Uh, you see them crumbling and falling apart all, all around us. Uh, college athletics will survive because higher education is going to survive. Uh, the, you know, one, there, I'm, I'm in the school that the one thing that is not debatable is, is the value of a college degree. It's why people from all over the world uh, come to these institutions, come to the Pac-12, come to Washington State. Come to Ohio State because of the quality and caliber of education you 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 can receive and it's the one it's the surest bet to change your socioeconomic status is through 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 a college education. Uh, so college athletics will survive. What will it look like. I think that's a to be determined if we aren't able to play because uh, there's a lot of things that that um, That impact how we do business today that are going to go away for a year um that that i mean it, it's it's a simple fundamental thing i mean how do we pay for scholarships if we have no revenue coming in yeah and that's our most that's our number one every athletic program your number one responsibility to strip it all down uh you know we got 500 student athletes here you know probably uh, two-thirds of them are on some type of aid uh they're here because of that aid and we got to make sure how we're how we going to fund their fund their uh fund their scholarships and uh i mean that that's the most problematic thing uh if we don't play but uh, it, it'll, it, it, we if we do not play for a year, we will look very different on the other side of
1: this. Is the toughest part of your job making those hard, fast uh, decisions of, for one of another term, laying people off, furloughing people, you know how it's impacting their families? I know you've, I think you've taken up, I don't know if a pay freeze, pay cut, or, I mean, but I'm trying, you know, but is that, is that the toughest part of your job? Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Without, without a doubt. And, and we're, 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 we will get there to, to furloughs and salary reductions. Uh, we've been really, really um, mindful of the impact of layoffs just because there aren't any jobs out there. Yeah. I mean, I mean it, the easy thing to do would be to lay someone off. Uh, but then you're, you're looking right now, it's like you ask yourself, like, what, what are they going to do for a living? They got families. Uh, they have lives to live. Uh, so, so for us, it's it's it, that's the most painful thing, and even 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 having to tell someone they got to take a furlough, but. The good thing at a place like ours is people have so much pride in the institution and so much pride uh, in our athletics program, and 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 we have the type of environment here where people will do what's best for our athletic department and for our student athletes, and and you know unfortunately for some, for all of us it'll be some type of uh, you know it, it'll impact what we bring home every month, but we're also I think all of us are mindful that hey we're all in an environment now where you got to be grateful and thankful for what you have
1: you're still a young man, but you've got great experience. I mean, you, you've been around, like I said, since the nineties, since I've known you, uh, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, that's a long time. Cat. Uh, yeah. uh, it, it creeps away quickly, man. By the oh. way. Yeah. Example. Uh, I'm a perfect example. 66 years old now, but, uh, but w- I know I said last question a while ago, but my, you know, as you well know, it's one of my calling cards. Yeah. Is, that's uh, your
0: number one calling card.
1: <laughs> but, uh, uh, you've been around long enough to see, I think, college athletics is just a microcosm of athletics sports around the world. It's, it's not just a whole, you know, fun thing you do on a Saturday or something. It is now a major (laughs) industry. You're, you know, I mean, the amount of people employed at Washington State just in the athletic department to get the fields ready, to get the, to keep the place clean, to you know, uh, to run the athletic, you know, you've got people under you, et cetera. That's what people, when people kind of give short shrift athletics during this point or sports during this point, I think you don't understand how much of an impact just economically, financially that has on, you know, on a community. I mean, it's kind of like taking, if you took major college sports away from Ohio State, it'd be like pulling an Air Force base out, you know, Uh, on a community. uh, It's the same kind of impact.
0: The economic impact, uh, especially in a town like Columbus, but I know here the em- economic impact on hotels, oh yeah, uh, on the on the on the souvenir shops, the gift shops, the, the T-shirt shops, uh, the restaurants. I mean, it is it is it is income uh, uh, they will never realize uh, without those six seven home football games. Right, right. I tell one, I, I, you, know, one, one quick thing. I tell you one here. Uh, to your point, you know, Washington State was founded in 1890, so 130 years ago. Two years later, for some crazy reason, the faculty voted to have a baseball team. Three years later, they added a football team. And then this is the and back then it was all faculty driven. So for some reason, sports has always been woven into the fabric of not only our institution, but institutions like us uh, in the entire country. And you fast forward to 2020, it's like you said, uh, the, 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 the strength of that fabric is stronger than it's ever been. And there's so much tied into it from you know from starting with the student athlete and the coaches and the staff. But you're right, everyone along the way from uh, uh, the gas stations, restaurants, uh, hotels, mom and dad. I mean, it, it is such a part of Americana today that Man, without sports, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, we, we've all felt it these last couple, couple of months, but without college athletics, it's, it's, it's been, it's been a change. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. And, and on the bottom line, past everything else, everybody wants something to root for, you know, something that makes them different from the other guy. Yeah. Washington State wearing its what? Uh, is Crimson, it red and silver? Yeah. What do what, what you, what you guys? Crimson and gray. Crimson and gray. Excuse <laughs> yeah. me. Excuse me. Crimson and gray. Yeah. Uh, uh you know, to uh you know, playing USC, etc. Like Cardinal and whatever they are. What are what are they? USC.
0: What
1: are they? Maroon. What are they yeah. are they, they yeah, Maroon and Gold? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Man, I gotta study up. Let me think that sounded like a former Ohio State uh president who won't who who won't go named, but she said uh she was really proud of the red and silver, you know, at the uh Fiesta Bowl one year. That, was,
0: that, was, that tie was the
1: greatest win ever. <laughs> yeah. You know what though? Here's the thing. People want to parse that. Yeah. But, but if you really, you know, if you really get right down to it, uh, you know, I, I watched uh, one of my favorite things I've watched during the COVID-19 quarantine was the uh, Harvard Beach Yale 29-29. It's a documentary on the 1968 Harvard-Yale game where Yale was, had Calvin Hill and they were super, super favoring in that game and they were way up. And then Harvard just miraculously in the last two minutes came back and tied the game. You know, and it says uh, Harvard beat you know in the, the headline in the Harvard Crimson the next day was Harvard beat Yale 29-29. But but if you know you knew what he was talking about there. I'm talking about Gordon Gee yeah. because oh my goodness, as I as I as I said about uh, John Cooper a long time ago, he was a hell of a football coach. Uh, a, he had a brilliant scarlet tie with a big splotch of mustard right in the middle of it. You know that <laughs> yeah. kind of summed him up because if you don't get that splotch of mustard out. What a career, right? Second winning um, is coach. And we're on, you know, history?
0: We're, on, we're on it right now. When you're on the wrong side of a rivalry and we're, we're 0 for our last six against, or maybe yeah, over our last six against our rivals. Uh, In the Apple Cup. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the weight of that just, it, it's hard to get those things turned around. But, you know, but I've seen it happen. Uh, you know, it, it takes a different level of emphasis. We have a new coaching staff here that knows that's one of the burdens they have to change. But, uh, you know, it's not for a lack of effort and it's not for a lack of caring. Uh, yeah. I think it's a great misnomer. All these you know I can tell you Mike Leach, John Cooper, they know exactly the weight of those games. It's just rivalries are different. And, and you and you got and, and you got to you got to figure out that Rubik's cube, to try to try, try to come up with something and luckily for you know uh, Jim Tressel, Urban Meyer, they, they got they got that they they had the thing mastered like like really two coaches uh, unlike that rivalry has ever seen, and hopefully we can figure something out here at Washington State. Although Urban gave us a little bit of the crib notes. Uh, <laughs> a little, yeah. He helped us out a little bit. He did some time with our coaches, so I'm appreciative of Urban to, to, to give us a little bit of a secret sauce.
1: But can you imagine Ohio State's won, uh, what, eight in a row since 2011? Uh, I mean, it's, they've only lost two since 2000 yeah. uh, in, in that rivalry from, you know, when you were around. I mean yeah.
0: – the, uh, the 90s were tough. We're it
1: hard. hasn't just flipped. Yeah. I mean, it just flipped. I mean, Ohio State's kind of kind of surfing over the top now. Yeah. Uh, but like you say, everything has a cycle, right? Yes,
0: yes. So our hope in the Apple Cup cycle, we're we're about to go on top of our our cycle here. That would that would
1: yeah. be fantastic. <laughs> Angry Orchard. That's who y'all need to get for your. Uh, that's what you need to get for your new spot. There you go, man. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that brings to an end of another Tim May podcast, and I really appreciate my longtime friend, uh, a guy who I leaned on for just to you know, steer me in the right direction sometimes when he was at Ohio State because he was great as in the SID office and then moved on to the, uh, to the athletic administration. And He's, you know, he's one of the – I don't want to call you up and coming. You're a power five school now, but you're still one of those guys people have their eye on uh, who kind of has answers sometimes in tough situations, and you always keep your cool. Pat Chun, thanks for joining me, my man.
0: Appreciate you, Tim. I appreciate the time.
1: Sure. And until next week, ladies and gentlemen, this is Tim May for the Tim May Podcast. We'll see you then. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
2: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh?
0: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Number 66 forward provided by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.